0: We have Jane Cahoon back in the house for a Thursday episode of the Cleveland.com news podcast. It's this week in the CLE. Thursday, May 7th, I'm Cleveland.com editor Chris Quinn with the aforementioned Jane and Laura Johnston as well. We're almost at the end of eight weeks of this work at home thing. I think we finally have it down.
1: Or we're just losing it. One or the other. (laughs) (laughs) Just keep taking it one day at a time.
0: Quick note, tomorrow we're aiming to have a guest on this podcast for the half hour. We'll be talking about the future now for the present. What has happened to Governor Mike DeWine's promise of transparency? Jane Cahoon, he had told us that he would let us know things as soon as he knows it. He's got a bunch of reports in his hand about how he's going to reopen Ohio from his working groups, and they're refusing to turn those over. I would argue that's not transparent.
1: (laughs) I wouldn't quite use the word refusing. However, they have not turned them over to us yet. Um, You might, a cynical person might say they're stalling, but these working groups, he said at his Tuesday briefing that they were pretty much wrapping up their work, at least a few of them, like on the restaurants, salons, and I think the daycares. And he didn't hold a briefing on Wednesday because he said he was going to, spend that time reviewing these reports and hopefully announcing something today on the reopening dates and the terms and conditions. So we requested the reports as soon as he said he had expected to receive them, and they have not provided them yet.
0: So, you know, this is kind of the danger that we discussed a while back about how, you know, having reporters thank Mike DeWine for having briefings. I mean, it's his damn job to hold briefings. We shouldn't be thanking him. But I wonder if the there's a bit too cozy of a relationship there that there's not foot stomping saying, give us the records. You cannot withhold these. They are due immediately. There's nothing confidential in them. It's discussions about how to reopen business, but you don't see that. You don't see that insistence. You don't see, I'm not proposing we have what, what goes on with Trump, (laughs) you know, because he's just trying to thwart answering questions, but, but we just, this, this is kind of central to what we do, right? right? We hold the government accountable. We get records. We ask questions. And, you know, I think, I don't, I think we're the only ones that have publicly asked for these and, you know, we're going to have to get militant about it. I think you're right. I think they're trying to stall it because they want to roll this out in their good time. But that's just not the way the records law works. They've got to turn it over. Frankly, by not putting it over, they're breaking the law.
1: Well, you know, it's it's kind of hard to stomp your foot remotely, but we're we're trying our <laughs> best. Um, and, you know, what I'm not sure of is is whether. Well, you're right. He wants to roll this out on his terms, I think. But. I don't know whether he might invoke some sort of executive privilege or business confidentiality, which even if we don't agree <laughs> with. Is this, I mean, is this, there's going to be confidentiality <laughs> for how
0: barbers come back to work. This, this is Laura well, Johnston.
2: Great. Is this more of their like protecting the public? Like we don't want bad information to get out there. If there's a plan that we don't ultimately do, we don't want to we don't want to scare people. I mean, is it, are they playing that kind of big brother
1: That that could be part of it. Maybe they're not taking all the recommendations and they don't want, you know, people to know that. I think it's more of a case of the governor. You know, he's he's got a very methodical approach here. He wants to announce these things. And that's my opinion about where this is coming from.
0: Well, he could have a methodical approach, but he's got (laughs) to do it within the bounds of the law. It's this week in the CLE. With Ohioans overwhelming in their support of Governor Mike DeWine, why are Larry Householder and his fellow House Republicans trying to block DeWine from protecting state residents from the coronavirus? Jane Cahoon, I get it. DeWine has received a lot of accolades for his handling of this thing, and the legislature has some big egos that are easy to bruise. But this seems like a bit of political suicide. What gives?
1: Well, first I should explain that they passed two bills on Wednesday. A regulatory bill that they amended uh, with a with new provision that prevents Dr. Amy Acton, the state health director, from issuing any orders that last longer than 14 days without a sign-off from this 10-member legislative panel that's dominated by the Republicans. And it also said that you don't have to have any special standing or have suffered irreparable harm to be able to sue over a health order, which seems to just be you know, inviting lawsuits, the, you know, the party of tort reform here. But anyway, then the other bill lessened the penalty for violating health orders to like a minor misdemeanor, you know, a civil violation instead of a a higher level criminal misdemeanor that has, you know, possible jail time. But anyway, I don't know. They, They seem to be appealing to their rural base, many of whom you know don't even see a need for these restrictions during this crisis and let's not forget how gerrymandered these legislative districts are so they could be you know appealing to them
0: yeah but remember i mean the polls show 80 85% of ohio believes in the approach that they've taken frankly you know more people than not way more are worried that the reopening is going too fast and this this is clearly a move to allow Ohio to be fully reopened. It just I'm a little bit surprised. Is it that the Republicans are in an echo chamber of of that small group, the kind of people that are doing the the goofy protests and that they're not really seeing the big picture that constituents in Ohio kind of like what DeWine and health director Amy Acton have done?
1: Well, you know, I mean, we've already seen plenty of evidence that that householder feels slighted and disrespected is the word he had used that he wasn't being listened to, and he likes to assert himself as a guy who's not going to be pushed around, so you know, is this like a um show business like like the editorial on cleveland dot com said, or you know petty and that well, kind of thing, but you know householder's also a guy who's reported to have gubernatorial ambitions. So you would think he wouldn't want to go against the grain of the, of popular public sentiment like that.
0: Well, and where he's had his success, you know, his first stint as the house speaker back, whatever it was, 15 years ago, he was kind of known for being a bit of a jerk and overbearing and he didn't work with people and his success up till now was he came in and he, He had a contingent of Democrats who were working with him and he was trying to broker peace. And it was it was a much different thing. This is this is back to his old self of being confrontational. Even if the House passes it, Abhoff, the the Senate president, seems much less favorable to it. But even if the Senate passed it and the governor vetoed it, they do not appear to have the votes to overcome that veto, at least not as of now. Right
1: now on the um on the provision the the fourteen day thing, two Republicans broke with the party and sided with the democrats and and voted against that bill uh and so it doesn't have a veto proof majority, so it's really, and I don't even really think the senate is is going to pass it, so that part seems kind of moot, but it is definitely posturing definite attack on DeWine's authority. Oh,
0: it's But it's also a philosophy of what is the role of the executive versus the legislative. It is the executive's role to do this. That, I mean, that's, that's the purpose of having the executive to run the administration. Yeah. The, the legislature is seeming to be trying to take the executive role, which gets back to your gerrymandering <laughs> because they have such a supermajority They could do whatever the hell they want. And, so.
1: You know, the, the politics of this, it, it was a really strange scene yesterday at the State House. That, I mean, I realize this is Republicans versus Republicans with DeWine and Householder, but, you know, the Democrats were all on DeWine's side on this. And this strange scene, it, it was just weird with most of the Republicans, including Householder, not wearing masks and most of the Democrats. Democrats wearing them, you know, just the whole feel of the thing was, it's just really a shame that this whole thing has become a political thing.
0: Eh, Everything becomes a political thing anymore. It's what happens when you have the kind of president we have. It's this week in the CLE. How much money is Ohio Governor Mike DeWine taking from my school district? On Tuesday, we learned the governor would strip a total of $300 million from local schools to deal with his budget issues. Wednesday, Jane Cahoon, we learned what each district would lose, and it's not pretty.
1: Right. Uh, the, the The biggest cut that the state calculated on a per-student basis is $304 per student for 20 Ohio school districts. And 13 of those are in the Cleveland-Akron area, including Beechwood, Chagrin Falls, Cuyahoga Heights, Independence, and a bunch of others. And the, the statewide cut amounts to 3.7% of this original base funding to school districts, which is, it's separate from the money that the districts raise from local property taxes. So, but so percentage wise, the wealthier districts are taking a bigger hit than the poorer districts, but you know, Cleveland's losing $5.6 million. It, It's only 1%, but it's a hefty right
0: amount. And think about what that means, because Cleveland is trying to figure out how to make sure that all the students have the access, the online access that kids in the suburban schools have. You know, that costs some money. Taking $5 million out of their pocket at this stage, that's got to hurt. I mean, that's how many teachers can you pay for with $5 million? I get it. The state has to have a balanced budget. And with much less revenue coming in, that's the, the, the result. I was, I was surprised a little bit, though, when we had the story yesterday about the, the loss in income tax revenues. But the biggest portion of it was because we delayed income tax filing till the next budget year. Uh, and you would think because they're expecting that money to come in when people file their taxes, it's like six hundred fifty million dollars. That they could have borrowed against that because one of the reasons they're down so far is because they decided not to collect taxes (laughs) that were included in this budget. But they're going to get that money. It's going to come in. uh, And it seems unfair to tear the shirts off the backs of the school districts when you know you got a whole bunch of clothes coming in the door.
1: Well, you know, there there are a lot of people unemployed too, so the, I'm sure there, there will be a drop-off in, in what would normally be expected there.
2: This is Laura Johnston. I was going to say, this is one of those things that really hits people. You can talk about budget cuts, but when you start looking at the numbers, I saw on Facebook, you know, Rocky River, where I live is one of the ones that's getting, you know, it was one of those 20 schools and people were already pouring over the list and saying how much we're going to cut. And this is one of those things that like trash service that people really pay attention to in the government. So it'll be interesting to see the response going forward.
0: Yeah, check out Rich Exner's story if you want to see where your school district stands. It's a, been a very popular story since he posted it. It's this week in the CLE. What is a cytokine storm? This is the new catchphrase in the lexicon of the coronavirus. I first started hearing it maybe a week ago, and now it's everywhere. If you tie a word to storm, to something to <laughs> scientific. Look out. It takes off. So, Laura Johnston, we thought we should explain what exactly it is. What is it?
2: Uh, I know. A cytokine storm sounds like a movie title, right? Like the perfect storm. Um, Exactly. Cytokines play a major role in regulating the immune system in humans. They generally help the body fight off infection, alert the body to any problems. The issue is that in the more severe coronavirus cases, doctors are seeing the proteins, and that's what cytokines are, their proteins, have not prepared for the coronavirus, and so they may cause a whole long list of problems, and they'll prompt the immune system to just overreact to the threat, and then you get hyperinflammation inflammation that causes damage to the lungs, and it just, the body goes haywire.
0: Once it starts, it sounds like you're in big trouble. It's going to be very hard to stop it.
2: Well, and that's what, you know, when Emily and Josh went to MetroHealth to visit, to see the doctors, sorry, Josh went, Emily talked to the doctors. That's what they said, that this is completely unpredictable. It's not like a surgery or a pneumonia, a normal pneumonia where they know how the disease will progress. They just, they keep discovering new things. And that's why we keep writing about things like COVID toes, where people have purple toes and the ARDS in the lungs. It's just new stuff happening all the time with this disease.
1: This is Jane Cahoon. Is this the same phenomenon that, that Chris and I experienced after we got our shingles vaccines where our immune <laughs> systems went on overdrive and we felt like utter crap when that well, happened?
0: It, 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 it's that's a good the, question. That's the question. So is there, are there warning signs that you have... A hyperactive immune system. Because I, I was thinking the same thing, Jane. I mean, I for five hours, twenty-four hours after I had that shot, for five hours <laughs> I was sicker than I've ever been. I couldn't lift my head. I mean, it was as bad as it got. And I did some reading later, and it said that's evidence of a robust immune system. But I wonder if that robust immune system is what causes that this storm. If you were to get it, it's kind of a scary thing. I hope eventually there'll be some tells that we have for who is likely to have this or the blood clots that is causing so much fatality. But there you go. That's what it's called. And it's pronounced cytokine, not cytokine. You looked that up? I
2: did. I actually, I did like the Google where it pronounces the word for you. So yeah, cytokine.
0: Okay. Well, there you go. I learned something. It's this week in the CLE. How do you keep a place like Cedar Point safe in the era of the coronavirus? The company that runs the park doesn't know if it will get permission to open, but if it does, the execs have a bunch of ideas for dealing with COVID-19. Laura Johnston, what are some of them?
2: Well, the good news is that if Cedar Point does open, you won't be waiting in line as long because they want to limit capacity. So maybe guests could make a reservation for the day they want to come. Now, how they're going to do this when there are thousands of people who have gold passes and literally could go every day, that's a question we haven't answered. But things also would be required like social distancing requirements on rides and in restaurants. So maybe that means you're sitting every other row in a ride on a roller coaster. Maybe some of the tables in the restaurants are shut or they alternate while they clean some. Uh, you might have virtual queuing for uh, popular rides. So instead of waiting two hours crammed with humanity in a metal gate while you're waiting to ride Magnum, you would sign up for a slot kind of like you do a Disney World uh, with their app. Um, we're talking about cashless transactions at dining venues. So I don't know if that's credit cards or maybe you buy credits in advanced and then, um, enhanced cleaning measures everywhere. Think about all the metal things that you touch at an amusement park ride. They're going to add cleaning and then add hand sanitizing stations.
0: All right. Let me, uh, let me, let me hit you with one that I'm bet you haven't thought of. <laughs> okay. Oh, um, I mean, obviously, because it, it's mostly outside and there's a lot of evidence that the coronavirus is much harder to transfer outside. They're in a better place than indoor amusements like the indoor amusement park at that center. But we also have talked a good deal about when you're running or you're biking outside that that the aerosols, the, the things you breathe out. hang up there. So, so, you know, the, the advice now is don't run behind somebody. If you ride a bike, stay at least 50 feet away from somebody. So now I'm on a roller coaster, right. And I'm, and it's a thrill and I'm breathing, And (laughs) and I'm breathing heavy and screaming. Are the people behind me automatically getting the aerosol? I mean, if it's the same principle of the heavy breathing of exercise hanging up there for the people who are behind me, wouldn't that also apply to the roller coaster where you are all in a straight line? I mean, I guess if you're going to ride the roller coaster, you want to be in the front seat.
2: That is something I had not thought about. Um, I don't think you're breathing quite as heavily as when you're exercising. But yeah, I mean, I think all of these things have to be answered. One thing that they said that I had not thought about yet... Where that restrooms will have to be social distanced, And that's going to happen with anything that reopens, even those stores that are reopening come Tuesday, if they have public restrooms, think about that, because I know the malls are doing this, they're going to have to probably close down every other stall, because you are not six feet away from someone in the next stall at a bathroom and think about an amusement park. Can you park. imagine
0: that at Cleveland Hopkins International Airport where the bathrooms are a disaster anyway?
2: Well, and think about the people at an amusement park who are lined up to get to the bathroom, right? I mean, you're going to have those social distancing marks on the ground. And then you're, cause we always talk about, you know, with sports, the entrances are the, the very small areas. So the same thing happens in bathrooms. You're talking about a one door system going in and out. So, I mean, that's, there are just a, a multitude of things to think through here.
0: Yeah. I, I, I don't know that I'd want to be on a roller coaster behind somebody <laughs> or behind a bunch of people. Cause you're directly in line and you're moving really fast. And so uh,
2: so you catch it faster.
0: <laughs> well, It's just that the aerosol, the the breath it will be hanging there. So if the person in front of you is infected and it doesn't know it and breathes out, what are the chances you're going to. Well, and you know, they
2: keep saying they'll fall. If you're standing up, they'll fall like two to three feet in front of you. Right. That's, why there's a six-foot social distance. But if you're in a roller coaster and you're spitting because you're screaming, where's that spit going? Is it hitting the people on the ground below you? I don't know.
0: Oh, yeah, I don't know either. It's a, it's a question that I'd like to have answered before I, I went there. It's this week on the CLE. What's it like living in downtown Cleveland during a pandemic? We know downtown workers have disappeared and all the people who go to Indians and Cavs games have disappeared and Playhouse Square and the Rock Hall. The people who are left are the residents. We sent out a team to find out how the people who live downtown are faring. Laura Johnston, what did we find?
2: So Dave Peckowitz uh, and Courtney Ostolfi did this story. Dave took some great photos of the emptiness. The Basically, the only people out were dog walkers and runners. One guy said it felt like 1997 when he first moved in. I, I haven't been downtown in two months, so it was pretty neat to see these photos.
0: Although it was, it looked to me like a lot of pictures of solo people and a dog. Yeah, <laughs> it, like, dog it seems like the only reason they went outside was to walk their dog. It was, it was pretty barren and, and, um, you know, I mean, it really did have the feeling of a, of a zombie movie.
2: Right. And they, th- th- what you said about the reason they moved downtown were for all of these things happening and none of it's happening. So they missed the entertainment options because one guy's like, well, all you can do is like, look at the lake. So I mean, there's still a pretty lake there. There's still the downtown mall and some nice parks. But I mean, if you're living downtown, you don't have a yard. And that's one thing I've said, you know, I have two, two kids is I can't imagine going through this without a yard that I can like be in my own space and be outside. So um especially as the summer comes, I feel like they might start feeling pretty claustrophobic if there's nothing going
0: on. And only so many of them at a time will be able to go up on their rooftop. Yeah, it's uh, it, it was I, I didn't know what to expect, but it was, it was more barren than I thought it's this week in the CLE. Are Ohio's cities and villages getting any extra money to help cope with the coronavirus? We know their budgets are a wreck with income tax collections dropping during the coronavirus shutdown. Shane Cahoon, they do have some good news Wednesday, although it won't help them with the money they've lost.
1: Right. The Ohio Senate passed a bill, and it still needs House approval, to provide $350 million from the Federal CARES Act, the coronavirus package the Congress passed, to help local governments with coronavirus expenses. But the catch is it can only be used on expenses related to the pandemic, like disinfectant, personal protective equipment, and emergency personnel expenses. It can't be used for other budget-related issues like backfilling those revenue holes that you just talked about.
0: But, But let's face it, every city that has a police and fire and EMS department, they need this equipment, and it's expensive and actually hard to find. So it's not like the cities will not be able to find a way to spend this money outside of filling budget holes there is a lot of stuff that they suddenly need because of the coronavirus right
1: right and i'm sure they'll be happy to get it and there's also more money apparently there's a total of like 2 billion dollars from the relief package for local governments but the legislature didn't want to distribute it all now because they hope that the federal government's going to loosen these restrictions on on how it can be spent and allow them to use it for things like payroll so they're still waiting on that.
0: The interesting thing, I, I know cities are grappling with summer and for cities that have pools, for instance, if, if they were to open the pools, are there things they could do to, to make them safer and that this is money that could go to that, for instance, if they were going to have I don't know, sanitizing stations and things, or if they had to put barriers up in a different way in the pools to keep people from exposing each other. that That's all OK. They just can't. They can't use it to pay the lifeguards.
1: Well, it certainly would seem coronavirus related.
0: Yeah. Okay. It's this week in the CLE. Is Jim Jordan the most conservative lawmaker in America? I guess opinions can vary on that. But Jane Cahoon, he does have a distinction not shared by others.
1: Yes. We knew he was among the most conservative, if not the most conservative. But now the American Conservative Union Foundation, that's the group that hosts the CPAC convention, you know, where Jordan frequently speaks. They announced Wednesday that Jordan earned his 13th consecutive 100% rating from them. Uh, It's a a yearly assessment they do of congressional votes uh, to see how they align with their conservative principles. And it described this as an all-time record in, in Congress. He's
0: very proud. <laughs> he, he's become a lightning rod for attention. Brent Larkin, our columnist, has written about him a couple of times, and it's the things he wrote were hugely popular, both by, I think, Jordan supporters that wanted to criticize Brent and Jordan critics who loved what Brent wrote. What is it about him that makes him such a lightning rod for the rest of the nation? There's plenty of conservative lawmakers, but he's way up there in the pantheon of people who are controversial.
1: I think you could call him a a very polarizing figure. (laughs) (laughs) He's such a fierce defender of Donald Trump, and he goes after the Democrats, you know, at at every turn. uh, You know, just the other day, he, he wants the FBI investigated for their investigation of the the Michael Flynn case. So, he's always out front there on on these issues, mixing it up with people. You know, he's a former wrestler. He likes to get in into the ring and mix it up.
0: Is it all intentional, do you think? Is it all he he likes being in the constant discussion. I mean, there's only a few people in the Congress that are so regularly featured. And you know, he's he's made sure to play a key role in confirmation hearings and things. I mean, is this something he's very deliberate about? I want to be in the middle of the conversation.
1: I think so. I I also think he's he's just a true believer. He's, you know, a true ideologue. Uh, He believes in certain things and he's not uh, he hasn't wavered with with the wind. You know what I mean? On 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 what he believes.
0: But lightning rods have a hard time getting things done because they make people angry and more effective legislators are the ones that work in the background. I mean, Rob Portman is a pretty conservative guy, a very serious Trump supporter, but but he's he's not considered in the same firebrand style as as Jordan is.
1: Right. And in fact, Portman, I think, got the lowest percentage rating from this group, 59 percent. As did the other lawmakers that are more that I would call more bipartisan, like the Dave Joyce's and uh,
0: see, I wouldn't call Portman bipartisan. I think Portman's been pretty, pretty steady in supporting things. I mean, you know, when you call him for an opinion, he's usually a bit mealy mouthed about it because he is waiting to see which way the wind blows. But but because of his non confrontational style, he gets stuff done like he'll he'll work with Sherrod Brown.
1: Well, that's hey, what I mean by again. bipartisan. You know, he he works with Sherrod Brown and you know Can you he, can
0: you I, imagine Jim Jordan ever working with Sherrod Brown?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't although, you know, strangely, Jim Jordan and Dennis Kucinich got along really well when Dennis was in was in the country.
2: Wow, I would not have guessed that. <laughs> this is Laura Johnston. I was I was just thinking I feel like he's really liked the limelight and with the impeachment hearings he had this whole national audience that, and that can, got yeah. to see his style almost every day.
0: Well, he has, I'm sure, what he considers a badge of honor here. It's this week in the CLE. Okay, all, that's uh, one more day, and we will have completed eight weeks of stay at home. Who would have thought it? I was watching the uh, Amy Acton video from when she came in to see us, uh, the editorial board, on March 3rd. And, and listening to the questions and where we were. I mean, it's just two short months ago, but there were questions like, you know, in South Korea, they have hand washing stations inside the door of businesses. Can you imagine America, Americans ever putting up with that kind of? change in their liberty and it's like wow how far we've come so much has
1: changed so much has changed
0: it's a fascinating uh fascinating slice of history already two months later okay thank you uh laura thank you jane and thank you everybody for listening we'll be back tomorrow with what i hope is a special episode of this week in the cle